0: Welcome everyone to the Monday Match Analysis Podcast. I'm Gil Gross, and this is a special exclusive just for my friends who listen to my show on audio platforms, Uh, because throughout the week, I've uh, broken down three matches just on an individual basis, and I've posted those videos to YouTube. So what I wanted to do here was package together those three breakdowns into one podcast, so, so that if you don't, consume uh, my content on YouTube, and you do so on on audio, that I can get this uh, to you. So this will be pretty long. The first one, and I'll put timestamps in the description, the first one is Alexander Zverev versus Brandon Nak- Nakashima. Then it is Felix OJ aliassime versus Andy Murray. And the most recent uh, breakdown is Stefanos Tsitsipas versus Borna Chorich. So those will be the three matches in this podcast, individual breakdowns, and we'll start going in chronological order with Zverev versus Nakashima. All right, it was Alexander Zverev coming through 7-5, 6-7, 6-3, 6-1. The German onto the third round, and this was a match I had circled. I was looking forward to it. I, I thought that the young American, Nakashima, had a good chance to test Zverev. Off the bat, um, first of all, there's there's a good amount of hype around Nakashima. He uh, went to college one year, Virginia Cavalier, was ACC Freshman of the Year, so he was impressive in the college ranks. He's turned pro and he's been very good on the Challenger circuit. And then he actually picked up steam. He was one of the players who really picked up steam in the exhibition when the actual tour was put on pause, Nakashima was playing a lot of the domestic events in the United States and beating the top Americans and, and playing really really well. I was also interested because I know that Nakashima is a steady and consistent player from what I from what I had seen coming into this match. I also know that I also knew that his his strength is the backhand so, I knew that this was a player who could probably go toe-to-toe with Zverev strength-to-strength in the cross-court backhand pattern, which is something that most players step on the court against Zverev, and, and they, can't really, they can't really trade backhands with Zverev, or they're in trouble. But Nakashima might be able to do that. He wasn't going to miss, so Zverev would have to play well to win the match. Play well, he did. He played very, very well. I'll get into the match, I'll get more into Zverev, but first, because this is the first time I've ever talked about Nakashima, I just want to give you a quick evaluation of his skills. Just a quick strengths and weaknesses breakdown. Uh, in my opinion, his strengths is one tremendous poise. This was the biggest match of his life, you wouldn't be able to tell. He was not overly excited. Not only did you see that in his body language. His body language was better than Zverev's, actually, but that's not always so hard. Still something that bother- bothers me a little bit about Zverev is how negative he gets, how easily he becomes negative. That's neither here nor there, okay? Uh, but Nakashima, a bit of a stoic character, but poised, focused, and and he was really playing within himself, which is really difficult to do when... Uh, you're in the biggest match of your life. He didn't get overly excited. He's a good athlete. He's a good mover. Slides a bit on the hard court. Covers the court pretty well. Now, a lot of people like to compare his style, his game, to Djokovic. He's no Djokovic in terms of his court coverage. He's not going to win matches with his court coverage. But 5'11", he's got the requisite quickness around the court. He's a good athlete. A solid, you know, pro athlete. Consistent, doesn't miss that much, isn't gonna give you a lot of easy errors. Awesome backhand. And Zverev made a funny remark after the after the match in, in the media. He said, Yeah, you know he's got a really great backhand, especially for an American. Come on now. That's like saying, Oh yeah, you're 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 really skinny for an American. I mean, whoo <laughs> It's funny, it's true. The Americans tend to not have good backhands which is really weird. It's the kind of thing that it's hard to explain with logic how a nation of people would develop a bunch of tennis players who don't hit good backhands. Willing to come forward? That was huge in this match. I'll get into that more. But he's a very willing volleyer. His coach, by the way, Pat Cash. All right, Pat Cash had decent volleys. And Nakashima's got great technique on the volleys. He's not the kind of player who... Who um, has amazing net coverage? He's five eleven, as I said. But when he gets when he's there for the volley, excellent. He looked rock solid in this match. Lastly, the serve, the serve. There's you know kind of good news and bad news on the Nakashima serve. The good news is, first of all, the technique looks great. I love the technique. Uh, the kick serve is excellent. Really good kick serve. He's got a good slice serve, which is very effective on the deuce court. What he doesn't do. Well, is, is he doesn't flatten the serve out the first serve, so it's not much of a weapon. And by the ATP's standards, it's an underpowered serve. And you, we've seen how good you have to be from the baseline in order to overcome that on tour. We've seen, you know, how good Diego Schwartzman, David Gaffan, um, how good the, the those fabio fanini how good these players need to be to make up for it if you have an underpowered first serve you have to be incredible not saying nakashima can't get to the can't get to that level i think he can but i think he has the potential to to hit bigger first serves and i think that would help him in this match when it came to the first serve it was like a big leaguer against the minor leaguer that's that's what it seemed like on the first serve and i know it's a high bar when we're talking about Zverev, but that's that really cost Nakashima in this match is that he could not match Zverev in the free points category, not even close. All right, so let's get to the match now. Um, it, it started off really, really high quality. I was very impressed with both players. I thought if either player didn't come out of the gate strong, they would have been down. But they were pretty much nose-in-nose, nose, holding serve early on. Zverev was hitting his forehand really well, and those are the two things you watch for with Zverev, or the two things you watch for. The forehand, is he punishing short balls, is he hitting his forehand too loopy, too short, is he getting too passive, or is he actually going after that shot and um, taking control with that shot? And then when things are really bad, he can spray that shot. So is he is he hitting that shot into the court? The forehand was really on. That was clear right away. Now he was double faulting. And early in the match, you kind of got that feeling. Uh, what's going to happen here? Nakashima's holding serve. He's playing really well. What's going to happen when Zverev has a game where he double faults two or three times? Well, Zverev actually had that game but his first serve was so big and his forehand was so good that he was still able to hold serve. Um, So it was uh, two threes. Varev served in the first set. He double faulted twice in that game, but got um, two to three free points and was able to hold anyway. The version of Zverev that I was seeing in that first set immediately reminded me of the Zverev we saw in Australia. This was a Zverev that wasn't hitting his second serve well, but it just didn't matter because he was around 75% first serve and he was hitting his first serve 130 to 140 miles per hour. And he was, um, you know, hitting spots well enough. Margin, I mean, he did paint some lines in there, but the point is his first serve was pretty overwhelming. So he just didn't need to rely on on his second serve, and he was losing most of his second serve points, and he lost most of his second serve points throughout this match. just didn't matter because he was serving such an unbelievable percentage in the first set. When it got to the business end of this first set, uh, Nakashima just blinked plain and simple. Five all, he's up 40 love and hits four unforced errors and a double fault to lose serve at five all. It was just it was a really sudden collapse by Nakashima and then Zverev serving out the first set, hits four unreturned serves and a double fault. So he he just didn't he didn't have to work hard. Nakashima wasn't getting serves in play. And in the second set more of the same. Zverev served 82% first serves in the second set. Um, Again, he was 75% first serves in the match, and he was winning 84%. So 81 for 97 on the first serve for Zverev. On the second serve, he won 34%. 11 for 32 on the second serve. Did he get broken? No. That's how good he was on the first. Didn't get broken. Uh, Sorry, it's not... Um, yeah, he didn't get broken. Sorry. I thought for a second, I thought I'm going to there, but yeah, Nakashima had five break point break points, didn't convert any. Um, so set two goes to a tie break and let me take a moment to talk about why Nakashima was holding serve and what Nakashima was doing to, um, to make this competitive with Zverev because to this point it was it was a really tight match and Nakashima overall was just was playing really really good ball but i think the main thing that he was doing a great job of was attacking the net especially um on his serve the nakashima forehand is a little bit underpowered so he made up for that brilliantly by making sure to finish points at the net When Zverev took a defensive posture, as good a mover as Zverev is, combined with Nakashima's Nakashima's power deficit on the forehand, it was really impossible for Nakashima to really hit it by Zverev. But Brandon was going to the net and hitting gorgeous volleys. And I have to say, the Zverev passing shot, which at times is excellent, it just wasn't really keyed in through two sets in this match. He wasn't making passes. He, you know, Nakashima was was getting volleys, was getting kind of kind of easy volleys. Nakashima at the net in set 2 16 for 19. Set 1 12 for 14. He realized that he needed to go there even more in set 2 because cuz uh, it was working so well. And again, the, the backhand was really holding up and It was just really great, impressive tennis um, on both ends. But he's not making any returns. Suddenly the tiebreak starts. Nakashima goes on this unreal run of suddenly making first serve returns. Zverev was serving it to the Nakashima backhand return way too often. I actually think that, and I know that's ridiculous to say when Zverev was so successful on his first serve, but he... I mean, Nakashima was barely making any forehand returns. He was making some backhand returns. And for some reason, Zverev in this breaker, in this second-set breaker, was kind of serving it to the to the backhand, in my opinion, too often. So um, Nakashima gets out to a 4-love lead, and Zverev eventually comes all the way back. Nakashima misses a second-serve return at 4-6 that, that he'd want back. Um, at 6-all, or excuse me, at 5-6... Nakashima has Zverev on the ropes and Sasha hits an amazing squash defense, short in the court, forces Nakashima up to the net and Zverev hits a two-shot pass. But in the end, it was actually the 19-year-old who held his nerve. 7-8, Zverev gets an ace and a free point, earns his first set point. Nakashima, now down set point, first set point, And remember, he's lost a bunch of set points already, uh, hits a beautiful backhand winner, steps into the court, uh, hits it, um, into kind of, um, he hits it to Zverev's backhand side, breaks the sideline. It was an unbelievable angle from the middle of the court with Nakashima's backhand. And then from there, Zverev misses just long on a second serve return on the backhand. He'd want that back. Not the worst miss because he missed it going for the correct target, target deep down the middle but then at the end of the second set or at the end of the breaker down i believe his sixth set point zverev hits a second serve 133 miles per hour into the net double faults the set away and at this point here is my thought nakashima is playing brilliantly to stick with zverev because zverev is serving well and playing pretty well from the baseline and, and making a lot of balls and doing a lot of good things But again, it's if you can stay with Zverev, if you're good enough to stick with him and to keep it close, you might get an 133 mile per hour double fault on set point. And that's, in my opinion, the problem right now with Sasha Zverev. And that kind of remains the problem. Luckily for for Zverev, he, he stepped it up another notch and it, it was no longer as competitive in the next two sets after Nakashima took the second set. Zverev gets an early break in the third set. Then again, love 40. Serves out of it. And then at deuce, Zverev's up 3-1 here. Hits an 137 mile per hour second serve ace. Works sometimes, right? Zverev serving for the set at 5-3. Again, finds himself in a love 30 hole. Hits an ace, two service winners, and Nakashima missed a second serve return. So you can see how um, Brandon just isn't getting enough returns in play. And Zverev... I want to talk about the Zverev forehand. Fourth set. Not competitive. It's a blowout, and Zverev wins 6-1. Let's talk about the Zverev forehand for a second. It's, um... I saw I saw a video of him practicing shortly after his partnership with David Ferrer was announced. And by the way, Ferrer isn't in New York, but uh, Zverev says that they're in constant communication. Him and Ferrer. But I saw a video of him practicing, and what was very clear is he was really flattening out the forehand in practice. And I kind of shrugged my shoulders. I said, okay, well, that's great, but let's see what it looks like in a match because anyone can flatten the ball out and, you know, be daring in practice, but then they might go out onto the match and, you know, Zverev is known to get very passive on his forehand side and not not make opponents pay for dropping the ball short and extending rallies and just really just not taking charge on that side. In this match, Zverev got into into a tremendous habit of really just going after the forehand and, and flattening it out ultimately. And it's a really big shot when he flattens it out. It's just so often too loopy. That's the one thing from the baseline. The other thing is he was taking his backhand down the line. And sometimes he's got this awesome, unbelievable backhand and he's just going cross-court every time. In fact, the first ever Monday match analysis was Zverev against Isner Indian Wells Final in 2018. And I remember I was just going I was just up in arms all throughout that match because Zverev didn't hit a down the line backhand. And and Isner was just camped in his backhand corner hitting inside out, inside in forehands, and Zverev just Incredibly passive, just never going down the line with his unbelievable world-class backhand. In this match, he was building constantly with his backhand down the line. He was flattening out his forehand, and he was hitting massive first serves at 75% efficiency. You combine that with the kind of movement that Alexander Zverev has and his ability to defend on return games and counter punch and put pressure on his opponent that way. And that's where you are reminded how good Alexander Zverev is. That is where you are reminded why he was winning Masters events at age 18. And that is how he made the Australian Open semifinal. Um, now, I got to say, again, the, his, his form really reminded me of, of Australia. It really did. I still don't think he can win the title this way. First of all, the way he hit his forehand in this match was not anything like the way he was hitting his forehand against Andy Murray. So which is it? What is it going to be? Is it going to be like it was against Nakashima from, he, from this point on every round? that's the case, stock up. Or is it going to be on and off? And is he going to get negative and down on himself? And suddenly he's, you know, pulling off the forehand and shanking it and looping it. and, And it'll look like it did against Andy Murray instead of what it did against Nakashima. He still can't hit a kick serve. And I just don't really think he can win a major title without a kick serve. Maybe he can, but... At the moment, the way the field looks, I don't think he can. So can he go deep? Yeah. Uh do I rescind my upset alert? Now now he's in the third round, so this is easy for me to say. Yeah. Uh he is he is playing quite well. And up he, he you know, he isn't a player who who looks very vulnerable right now. Um okay, the third question is he gonna still serve seventy five percent for serves? Because if he doesn't, and he can't protect he can't protect his second serve. So if, if it's not gonna be 75%, then what? That's what was so concerning after the second set in this match. Zverev lost a set serving 82% first serves. And then it's like, what what's gonna happen when it drops? What's gonna happen when it dips? It just didn't dip that much. So is is Zverev gonna play like this every match? That's a big if. I'm not sure about that. And even if he does, he'll go very deep. But I still don't think it's good enough for a major title. Nonetheless, very impressive from Nakashima. Um, he really held his own here. He's got a lot of potential. And I think both players should actually feel pretty good about themselves coming out of this match. This was an easy walk-in-the-park win for FAA. 6-2, 6-3, Six four. Now, I think the big question mark coming in was what kind of level were we gonna get from Andy Murray after a four-hour 36-minute first round match with Yoshi Nishioka in the first round? Andy has always kind of communicated that it's it's not about playing one physical match. It's the recovery that that he's kind of struggled with, and that's the part that has always concerned him. And in this match, Andy was not even close to 100% physically. Um, I kind of said like 67% physically, which is really not going to cut it against a player of Felix Ogiali, seems caliber. But on top of that, I think that the things that FAA does – explicitly exploits which is a bit of a tongue twister um i should say it specifically exploits some of the areas that andy has struggled with m- most glaringly post hip surgery now let me just say this is as clean a match as you'll as you'll see felix play and he was Immaculate in this match. The firepower coming from the f- serve and the forehand alone was insane. And then you look at his frame um, and how he moves around the court, and you are reminded why the hype is real when it comes to Felix Auger Aliassim. Even if he's putting th- not not putting things together, not winning matches. If he's double faulting and making way too many errors to win. It's these kinds of performances that remind that, that that are a reminder of why everyone who knows anything knows that the ceiling is so high for this 20-year-old. If you look at the match stats, it gives you a pretty good idea of how clean he played. 24 aces for FAA. I don't have the winners to unforced, but a lot to a little for the Canadian. Um, Yeah, let me talk about some of the things that Felix did that really bothered Andy's movement, which again, it wasn't 100% coming into the match, but in this case, it, it was just exacerbated. So one is, again, the return. Now, Felix has had a good first serve forever now. Been the second serve which has been a problem he's had consistently one of the highest double fault rates on tour right now in 2020 i checked uh this morning or actually last night and in 2020 he's has the sixth highest double fault rate on tour according to tennis abstract data which is bad but actually not as bad as it's been um in the past i think last year he was I want to say third. It was him, Zverev, and Benoit Pair kind of up there. I do think that Felix has made an adjustment on his second serve, and I think it's uh, the toss. I think he's putting his toss further behind his head, which is actually exactly what I was looking for. Now, I want to confirm that with video, and maybe I'll revisit that in a future video. But the first serve has always been great. And i got to say, if there's one area where I, I don't think I've seen Andy get anywhere near the level where he once was before his injury and his subsequent surgery. It's on the return of serve. You don't really see him making the agile returns that we became so accustomed to. And, you know, there were times where I almost felt like Murray might be a tougher player to ace than Djokovic. It was always close between them. But Murray, nobody covered the service box Better than Murray, and he's just not doing that anymore. So when he comes up against a big server like Felix, he can now now FAA can produce service winners and blow aces by Andy Murray. It used to be a lot harder to do that. If you look at the stats when Murray played Milos Raonic last week, Raonic won. Um, 88% of his first serve points. They had played, I want to say 12, Um, there were 12 prior meetings between Murray and Raonic. Raonic had never won that high a number of first serve points. Raonic was under 80% in a lot of those matches. And when he was over 80%, I, I believe he, he never was higher than 84 it was all the way up to 88 last week. So the, the first serve return is, hasn't looked the same for Andy. And that shouldn't really be surprising. It takes a tremendous amount of mobility in the hip, spring from the legs, which I believe maybe he still has that part. But, but really, it takes just a lot of upper body flexibility to explode into stretch returns. That's one area where I, I feel... That Andy is not there yet. So Felix takes advantage of that with with his big first serve. The second area that Felix takes advantage of. Andy's top end speed, his high end speed, I think it's still pretty good. It's the changing direction and the quick movements, which look still a bit slow. And FAA does two things. He takes the ball early and he goes behind Andy. He did those two things really, really well in this match. Deuce side, biggest points. He'd go with the serve out wide, and then the forehand back uh, that direction, behind Andy, back to his forehand side. Followed it up behind the wide serve on the deuce side. Now, if he didn't take the ball early, then going behind Murray wouldn't be effective. Because once you get your weight centered... The whole advantage of hitting behind someone is completely neutralized. Once the weight is centered, you have no advantage in hitting behind your opponent. But when your opponent is still recovering to the middle of the court, that means their weight is still going one way. That's when you get the advantage from hitting it the other way. And that change of direction is... That stopping on a dime and going the other way is where I feel that Murray is is slow right now. To my eyes, that's where he's slow. I don't think he's slow when he gets in position, gets a good, solid, balanced split step and then gets to go run after a ball. It's been the quick changes of direction, stopping on a dime, going back the other way where his momentum when his momentum is going the other way. That's where Andy's been slow. Felix taking the ball early is is huge because he, he doesn't let Murray recover. And that's where he can go behind Andy, which he did, with really great success. We all know that the Felix forehand can be on and it can be off. And it was just on tonight. And when it's on, it's scary. It's such a great shot when it's on. So much spin. So much whip into the court. Um... Really, really a great offensive weapon. Ultimately, where Felix is at a deficit is, uh, or in this, well, where he should be at a deficit in this matchup is consistency. And I think Andy just wasn't playing well enough physically that Andy wasn't much more consistent than than Felix was. Felix was probably more consistent. Right then and there, you know how the match is going. FAA has more power, bigger serve, uh bigger forehand. So if Andy's not the more consistent player and the defense isn't what it used to be, you know it's going to be one-way traffic, which it was. One more tactical point. Andy's got the slice action on his second serve. Makes it more difficult for him to get the ball to the righty backhand because the ball is spinning towards the forehand. And Felix was really having his way on his forehand return off the Murray second serve. He was clobbering it in the second set, Andy's first serve percentage was higher, so it was kind of hidden. But in the first set and the uh, and the third set, especially, was a big problem for Andy. Was the the amount of slice that was on the second serve? It's really nothing new. Murray's had that issue for his whole career. I just want to say Felix took advantage of it. Felix capitalized on it. His his forehand was so on point that Andy really needed to get it to the backhand on the second serve and he couldn't really get it to the backhand. What I was saying about Felix was that a player like a player like Andy just isn't really going to test Felix's weak points, which which is his defense and and his return at this juncture and his consistency. Andy should be able to test his consistency, but I'll be much more interested to see Um, how Felix fares against an opponent this week that can put him in a defensive position. Because when Felix is on his front foot, when he gets to play attacking tennis, the match is, is very much in his wheelhouse and on his racket. doesn't mean he can't have a bad match and make a ton of unforced errors. But the defense is still where Felix needs to develop because as good a mover as he is, he's still not a very good defender and um, sometimes he doesn't put enough serves in play, and sometimes he's not patient enough. It's all shot selection. It's all intention. But I'll tell you what. If his second serve is fixed, he's going to be an overwhelming player to play from an offensive standpoint. He is going to be really, really difficult to play. With the first serve he has, if he can rely on his second serve and hit big forehands, and try to play within himself on the backhand, which is a shot that's that's heavy. He just uh, sometimes it's kind of wild and it sprays. Um, he he can be he can be really really great. But my read on the match was Andy didn't have what what he needed to have physically. So defensively he wasn't there. The consistency wasn't there. Um, but the the firepower from Felix was really really impressive. All right, this next one is my breakdown of Stefanos Tsitsipas versus Borna Choric. one of the craziest matches I've ever seen in my life. It was a competitive match, the, the first three sets. Chorich cl- was clearly looking—he's clearly looking very healthy. He's hitting his forehand better than I've seen it in a while, and he's playing really good tennis, very fit as well, and a good job recovering from the long matches he's already played in this tournament. But Tsitsipas has a better game than Chorich. He's got m- more weapons, more all-around game. He moves just as well. He defends just as well. But he's got a a bigger serve, a better serve. Comes forward um, a little bit better than Chorich, and the forehand is a, a huge deficit. The only place where Chorich has a technical advantage is backhand to backhand, where where Chorich um, would you know wins that duel quite handily. But all in all, I think Tsitsipas should beat Chorich on this surface 7-8 out of 10 times they play. And through four sets, or through through three sets, it was certainly looking that way. Uh, Tsitsipas wins the first, Chorich wins the second, and then Borna starts to fade. Tsitsipas really steps it up at the end of the third set, wins that third set, and then Chorich starts looking really tired, and Stefanos goes up. to serve for the match in the fourth set. Now let me take it from there. Bit of a loose game by Stefanos. Loses the double break. And then Chorich gets to serve at 2-5. Tsitsipas works to 15-40 in this game. Double match point on Chorich's serve. Loses both of those points. And Borna holds. So now, Stefanos is in a difficult position psychologically because he's really felt, almost tasted the finish line twice, and now he's in this pressure situation having to serve it out at 5-4. Before this game, something very strange happens. Apostolos Tizipas, Stefanos' father, Stefanos' coach, along with Patrick Moradoglou. ...is suddenly not in the player's box. He is not in the the seat that he has been sitting in all night. This is very strange. Nobody... uh, I still don't know what happened. But if Stefanos was distracted by that... ...or frustrated by that... ...and yes, there is a chance that he told his father to leave... There is uh, also a chance that his father just left. Whatever it was, that was a distraction. Tietzpies goes up 40-love. Three more match points. He makes an unforced error on the first ball. Then he makes another unforced error on the first ball. Then he makes another unforced error on the first ball. Works some rallies once he gets to deuce, but you can see the tension in his legs, the tension in his in his swing. He is so... Tight, he is so tense, and he's he's shanking. He shanks a backhand, I believe, at Deuce after a rally. He makes another unforced error on break point. Um, or or actually, that's not true. They go back and forth. Stefanos gets a couple of more match points here. Um, so he had two, then he lost, then he lost three, um, and then he gets one more, and every single match point. He makes an unforced error. And he's just so tense, so tight. Okay, now it's 5-all. Now we have a match again. And it's like, okay, wow. Stefanos needs to take some deep breaths because Chorich just came back from 5-1 from down. Apostolos is back in the box now. And every time Stefanos is winning a point, he is screaming at his box. And it's ticking off Borna Chorich. It's firing him up. It's it's really it's lighting a fire under his opponent. And now every time Chorich starts to win a point, he f- pumps his fists and is yelling across the court at Tsitsipas. So Stefanos is is getting really upset at every point he loses, and he's celebrating really hard at every point he wins, and he just. Needs to take a deep breath. He just needs to calm down, settle down, and he couldn't do it. Chorich holds for 5 6. Titi Pass broken at 5 6. 7 5 set to Chorich after he was down 1 or after he was down 5 1. Rattles off six straight games. Now, Titi Pass does something very smart. Very smart. He doesn't rush back out there. That's the worst thing he could have possibly done. Instead, he goes back to the locker room, changes all of his clothes, does whatever he does in there. He's actually in the locker room for like six minutes to the point where Chorich is actually frustrated, starts complaining to the chair umpire. Where is he? Let's go. But that was, that was a real, I thought that was a real veteran move. And that's where I was wondering, hmm, what a young... Stefano Tsitsipas would have just, would he have just gone back out, still fuming mad, not focused at all, and then he would have gone down early in the fifth. Instead, he took his time and he regrouped. Wonderful job. Great. Not only that, but at 2-1, or I should say 1-2, at 1-2, Chorich makes two forehand errors to go down love 30. The game eventually goes to deuce, and then he makes another forehand error um on break point. So the forehand fails Chorich, Titi pass up a break in the fifth, but Borna breaks right back in the next game. Really good uh really good game by Chorich in that one. So um okay, one one more moment I want to highlight before we get to the fifth set breaker. 5 all, another huge chance for the Greek. 15-40. Okay, here, here we are again. Big moment for Stefanos. What's he going to do here? Chorich hits a first serve to the Pass backhand. And Stefanos takes a huge swing and shanks it. He's got to stop. He's got to stop doing that. And it, he, was, he was blocking a lot of returns in this match. When he did so, it was great. But then sometimes he'd hit over it. Every time he hit over it, he'd miss. It was like... It was like clockwork, but that time, fifteen forty, over eager, not disciplined, not calm, too tense, you know, too, again, Tsitsipas one of those rare players. He is over intense. There, There is no serenity in his game. He needs to find more serenity. Anyway, he hits over the back end. Then 30-40, another break point to stave off for Chorich. Excellent serve, up the tee by Chorich, unreturned by Tsitsipas. He saves another break point and holds for um for six five. Then Titi Pass works out of a love thirty hole after a bad overrule by the chair umpire. He should not have been in that love thirty hole if the if the uh if the umpire didn't mess up. Uh but Titi Pass holds and they go to a tie break. And then as soon as the tension rises again for the tie break, I really felt like Stefanos was feeling the weight. Of everything he had been through leading up in that moment. Leading up to that moment. And giving up that 5-1 lead in the fourth set. He felt all that weight. And Tsitsipas played a terrible breaker. He double faulted twice. Um, he shanked a backhand. He shanked a forehand. He lost uh, Chorich, Cruz to victory in the fifth set breaker. Wow. So this was a match at the end of the day. First of all, a big credit to one, Chorich's fitness, and two, his cold blooded warrior mentality. I've always loved Chorich's head. He is, he strikes the perfect combination of competitive, um, intense, but also mature and disciplined. So he really won this match with 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 his conditioning, his toughness, his discipline, um, and his tenacity, never giving up despite being being down so much. But he needed a lot of help from Titi And boy did did Stefanos help Bornachoric. It was a collapse. He didn't he he couldn't handle he couldn't handle the pressure. It was a choke. There's no way around that. Uh, it doesn't happen often, but when it happens, you got to call it like you see it. And not every comeback is a choke. Not every time a player loses match points, it's a choke. But this, unfortunately, was a choke. Okay. Let's talk big picture with Stefano Tsitsipas. He is now 5-5 five and five in majors since making the semifinal in Australia after going through Roger Federer in Melbourne. He is so much better than that. His game is so much better than that. Every anyone with two eyes can see that Tsitsipas is capable of a level that that is a it's a contending level. It's it's second weekend at a major kind of level. And heck, he was playing that level through four sets against Borna Chorich, up five one in the fourth. But now. Um, and look, he's had some really bad draws. He drew Andre Rublev in the first round of the U.S. Open last year. I mean, just an absolutely brutal draw. The one guy you don't want to draw last year in the first round was Andre Rublev if you're a seed. Um, Milos Raonic playing great tennis in Australia when combined with his returning troubles. That's a terrible draw. And then you have that epic five-setter loss to Stan Wawrinka at Roland Garros. That was a loss where Tsitsipas played some really good tennis. And all in all, it should have been a loss that Stefanos left the court with his chin up and his chest out. Good match. Epic match. Lost it. Got to get over it. But instead, it ate at him. It killed his confidence. It destroyed him. He goes to Wimbledon and loses in the first round to Thomas Fabiano, a player he should never lose to. I like Fabiano. He's a good player, but not a player Stefanos should, should lose to. He let that loss to Stan linger. This one was even worse. You need to, you got to be concerned. I'm concerned about CC Pass and what this loss can do long term. Not long, long term, but let's just say beyond the next couple days. Now, Stefanos has said, he said before the year, I I need to try to take myself and my tennis a little bit less seriously, because I'm just I'm I'm making myself a little bit too crazy. I need to I need to calm down a little bit. Hopefully he's able to put that into action here. He first thing he did off the court was he actually tweeted, which I mean it's pretty crazy. Um, you know talk about a gen z move but the first thing he did was t- he tweeted he said quote this is probably the saddest and funniest at the same time thing that has ever happened in my career i mean literally two minutes after he got off the court so does that does that mean he's taking it well does that mean he's finding the humor in this uh, i don't know but uh you have to be concerned because every every time in recent history that ct Pasta ever ever since australia anytime he's in a five setter he loses and he's just not handling nerves. He's just not handling pressure well. He clearly has the game to do so much better than he currently is. So really, really tough match. And he he's got some. He's got he's now got some psychological issues that he's going to need to work out. There's a there's a problem because he's a lot better than this. I, I I'll I'll keep hammering that home. This is not about his backhand. I'll end on this. This is not about his backhand. It's not about his return. It's just not. Sorry. He's up 5-1. And he couldn't suddenly... He collapsed. He couldn't hit a forehand. He couldn't hit a backhand. It, that wasn't a technical issue. This wasn't about his return. This wasn't Chorich exploiting his weak backhand. This was about Pas's head. It's about him tensing up, getting distracted and upset by whatever was going on between him and his father, who he was fighting with all match... That's why he lost the match. He lost the match here. Don't say his backhand is too weak for him to make a major final or his return is too weak to make a major final, which he, he's improved it a lot. Maybe that stuff is true. But certainly his backhand's not and his return isn't too too weak to beat Borna Chorich. It's not. He's better than Borna Chorich. Technically. But Chorich is better than him here. And in this match, that made all the difference. I'm curious to know your thoughts. Um, Clay should be a pretty good surface for Tsitsipas. But now there's a lot of pressure on him. Now he's got the Alexander Zverev thing going on. He's going to start getting questions. What's going on at the majors, Stefanos? Why aren't you going further at the majors? And now he's going to have that pressure to deal with. He needs to do some soul searching. He's got to do some soul searching. And figure out a way maybe he even needs some new voices in his ear to tell him some new things but that that's a more difficult thing to deal with ultimately good to see chorich healthy again good to see him balling playing good tennis again and we'll see what this does this incredible and dramatic loss does the Pass long term all right that does it those were the three match breakdowns and for those of you who do listen to the Monday Match Analysis podcast. I appreciate you guys very much. And uh, you can do me, me a big favor and grow the podcast by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and also, um, of course, making sure that you are subscribed. So um, I will uh, be back on Monday with another episode of Monday Match Analysis. Hope you enjoyed. I'll see you next time.